All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? Both Roger and Chen will be with me at the end of today's show. That's at 4.30 till 5 o'clock Eastern Time. Uh, we do have a special uh, introductory offer for Roger and Chen. Uh, they are, uh, you, can, you can call our office at 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, um, or better yet, go to our website at miningstocks.com miningstocks.com where you can not only sign up for that trial one time only I might add trial subscription uh, low price trial subscription but also uh, access lots of other things uh, that's going on with miningstocks.com but better yet let me suggest that you go to jtaylormedia.com that's j-a-y-t-a-y-l-o-r media.com you can access all three newsletters, my newsletter and the two that I just mentioned for my colleagues. You can also access this radio show that way. Uh, and you can uh, view the video clips that I've done. I've, I've interviewed uh, some 14 different companies that I think have a real shot at uh, becoming very valuable in the near future. And you can go to listen to the CEO's stories by going to jtaylormedia.com. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show to make this the number one show. Uh, on the Voice America uh, Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors, Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, Legend Gold, that was formerly, no, uh, formerly known as North Atlantic Resources, just changed their name, as did Cobra Resources. They are now known as Calico Resources, also uh, a sponsor of the show, Brigus Gold and Palangio Exploration, Inc. We thank all those companies for being sponsors for the first hour of today's show. Well, we have two really interesting guests uh, on our show this week. Um, and first of all, um, we are going to be talking to Damon Vickers. He is the author of a newly published book titled The Day After the Dollar Crashes. Damon believes we are at a crossroads of immense proportions and that we are living in a manner that is unsustainable. Uh, our global economic stability is in jeopardy. Our planet's ecosystems are under attack and our health is deteriorating. Huge changes are coming, according to Damien. How can we lead the charge to introduce innovations and solutions? 
Vickers believes that by anticipating social trends and detecting potentially profitable areas for investing, we might still be able to profit while supporting a sustainable future. What should we uh, anticipate? How soon will these major changes take place? Vickers will explain and also provide some ideas on how to survive and thrive. Uh, our second featured guest will be Jeff Berwick, who was the founder of a high-flying internet company before the dot-com bubble imploded in the year 2000. Jeff will talk to us about what it was like to head a company that had the likes of Goldman Sachs and other major investment banks knocking down uh, his door to do an IPO before the dot-com crash, and then what it was like after that, uh, after the bubble imploded, uh, when nobody would even take his phone calls. And when he was then forced to lay off huge numbers of people, when advertising revenues collapsed, it was a very uh, life-changing event for Jeff Berwick. He's going to share some of his ideas uh, and his, uh, what he learned and what he discovered from the real world running and operating a business. Jeff's going to be with us later in the show. Uh, towards the end of the second, well, the second half of the second hour, Jeff will be with us and then into the third hour of today's show. Uh, before we get to our featured guest, uh, in just a minute or so, I will be speaking to Frank Bassa. Uh, if we uh, have the recording, uh, there is some uh, potentially some significant, some problem, um, some technical difficulty here. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to come up with that or not. Um, the uh, in any event, um, I just a little bit of background. Uh, well, we've talked about gold bullion development, and I can talk to you some more about that if the company is not available for this recording. Uh, during, I, I, I should also mention that during the second part of this show, during the last hour of the show, we're going to be talking uh, to Barry Morgan uh, and Ted Ohashi. They are from a company called uh, Investment Pitch. It's a company that I have uh, that I am involved with as an advisor. Uh, and Investment Pitch is a company that's employing the latest technologies to help people like you, or people at least that are investing, understand uh, the companies better. You know, people read less and less these days. They're walking around with their smartphones, their devices. Uh, they're looking at pictures more. How do you get information uh, to people uh, in this day and age when people are reading less and spending less time uh, uh, reading and, and digging deep into uh, into stories. Well, what makes this company so exciting, uh, I think, also uh, is its attachment to Reuters for the dissemination of information, uh, videos, and the like. And uh, this is really important. Uh, people don't read much anymore, and and so things are changing. Times are changing. Ted and Barry will be with you. Will be with me uh, later in today's show to help me um, to help uh, us understand the investment opportunities at Investment Pitch. Well, um, I'm. I'm getting the, the bad news that somewhere along the line we do not have uh, the clip. Uh, we did a pre-recording with Frank Bassa of, um, uh, of Gold Bullion, and I'm really unhappy about this because this was a very good interview, and, uh, but something has gone awry here. Uh, in the meantime, let me just see if I can get some information out because I uh, have purchased shares of this company myself. Um, I uh, am an investor. Uh, in investment, uh, I am an investor in uh, gold bullion, uh, and I'm just paging for my notes here because this was not expected uh, that I was going to have to come up with this uh, and deal with this like this. But in any event, um, I, w I suggested to my subscribers this week that they might consider buying more gold bullion development corp. And the reason I did that 
uh, was based on the conversation that I had with Frank Bassa and uh, other people that I had met up with out in Phoenix before that uh, at a gold show, at a show with um, uh, this the prior weekend. Essentially, I, I don't want anybody to be, to be misled with respect to gold bullion. It is a very speculative stock, but I also want to underscore uh, the fact that in a bull market like we're in right now for the gold shares, uh, that it is the junior mining companies that are really making huge amounts of profits. Uh, the junior gold mining companies, because they are able to go out and find the gold and do it much more efficiently than the major, than the major companies can do it. Uh, let me just see, talk to my engineer. Uh, I, I want to find out, I, I want to, um, I want to understand, again, that Gold Bullion Development Corporation, it's got a, it has an operation, it is exploring and developing for gold in Quebec. Uh, it is, um, uh, it, it is working towards, uh, a multi-million ounce deposit, uh, it really, I, I really hesitate to talk about it too much here because Frank Bassa would be able to tell you the story uh, much better than I can. Um, I am going to, actually, I'm going to go to an early break here uh, and see if we can find this clip yet. Um, so I'm going to go to a break. We're going to take a commercial break now, an unscheduled one at this time, and uh, I'll be right back with you. Hopefully, we will find the clip from Frank uh, Bassa's discussion with myself uh, on gold bullion. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with Bite, with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and right. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, the good news is that they, uh, the engineers have found the pre-recorded clip that we were going to play uh, with uh, Gold Bullion, so uh, we're going to uh, play that right now. And I'm really pleased to be with Frank Bassa. He's the president and CEO, chairman also, of Gold Bullion Development Corp. Gold Bullion is a sponsor to this show. It's a company that I have recommended to my subscribers. It's a company that I own shares in as well, so let me get those disclosures out of the way. It trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol GBB, and you can buy it down here in the States, as I did, under the symbol GBBFF. There are 156.2 million shares outstanding and recently trading in the 58 to 60 cent range, giving a market cap of a little over $100 million. Welcome, Frank, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks a lot, Jay, and always a pleasure to talk to you. Really good to have you here um, again with me. Uh, you have a project that looks really interesting. It looks like it could be something that could grow into a much bigger gold deposit than uh, I think even you had envisioned initially when you got involved with it. It's called the Granada Gold Property. It's in Quebec. Tell our listeners a little bit about this project. Uh, Ricky and Jay, when we got into this thing uh, about three, four years ago, we only had about 71 hectares, and we thought uh, being a former producer in the 30s and 40s was an extremely high-grade deposit. And uh, a lot of people worked it over the years, and we thought, let's have a fresh look at it. Uh, a lot of drilling was done on it. So what we did, instead of starting a drill program, we did a very large bulk sample. And what we did was we mined 142,000 tons, and uh, there was a mill on site. We used their mill, and we put 30,000 through the mill, 
And then we also went and sampled a waste pile from this bulk sample. And what happened was we came up with uh, actually a very high grade uh, uh, on the bulk sample, which it kind of surprised us. It came in at over a gram, and then we went out and sampled a waste pile, and we found out the waste pile came in actually even higher than the, the feed into the mill. Mm-hmm. So we very quietly uh, decided let's uh, increase our land package. There must be something here more than these two vein structures. So uh, from the original 70 hectares, we're up to 11,000. And then uh, what we did was we, we decided to do a drill program. And what we did was we integrated all the data into a, a GEMCOM model, tested the model, and sure enough, the model, model worked. So we've been drilling this uh, property for over a year and a half now. And what we originally started was uh, what we call the preliminary block model, which was about uh, 300 meters by 600 meters. Uh, now it's about almost 500 meters wide and about 1.2 kilometers long. And now we're looking at possibly another structure two kilometers on strike going east. And what we did was a lot of our investors were wondering, you know, what kind of ounces could be in this mineralized zone. Uh, so we did a very, uh, uh, what I call a very elemental uh, calculation. And within that uh, preliminary block model, we said, okay, the thickness of the structure could be 70 meters. Mm-hmm. It's probably 600 meters long. And because it's uh, uh, tilted at about 50 degrees from uh, horizontal, we said it's possible that's uh, 500 meters wide. So we came up with a you know a bulk tonnage. We gave it a, a, a very high dilution on our grades from our uh, milling and our, our sampling or waste pile, and we came up with a target of a potential target of about 2.4 million ounces on the low side. Mm. Uh, so what we've been doing is we're trying to see if, you know this is valid. So we kept on drilling. And now we found out our original mineralized envelope now is about eight times larger. Wow. And, uh, and uh, we found out that uh, uh, we can also control the grade of, mm-hmm. of, of this deposit. So uh, in the last uh, press release, what we did was uh, after uh, drilling for quite a while, we have a certain degree of confidence. So we released that information, and we released uh, the information, and there was a lot of information per hole. And we also indicated we can do control the grade. So in other words, you can go from half a gram to over a gram by controlling the width of the mineralized zone, mm-hmm. and what we also did, uh, which we've been hitting these for quite a while, we keep on hitting these high-grade intercepts, and sometimes on these deposits, because of the nugget effect, uh, it could be a one-off. So we, we didn't want to release the information until we were confident that it's possible that it's not a one-off, and we actually labeled and named some of these structures. Uh, one of them is called vein number one, another one is called vein number two, and there's a third one which we didn't label yet, but it's possible that uh, these things do extend over a considerable length, trending east-west, and it's possible they go at depth. So when we originally started this, uh, Jay, we just thought we had a near-surface possible two-vein structure, and uh, now we're looking at possibly nine to 22-vein structure trending mm. east-west. Uh, we also found there's a lot of little veinlets parallel to these uh, main uh, vein structures, and we also found that some of these vein structures have this, what we call a very pronounced, halo effect whereby the wall rock around mm-hmm. the vein structure actually runs. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're still trying to figure out what we have. Uh, we're still do- doing what we call drilling for structure. We just want to see how big this thing is, how long, how wide, how deep. And uh, I think going into uh, uh, industrials program, we'll try to see if there's mineralization down to 450 meters vertical. And then if it is, then it's possible that this thing, in addition, just being a near-surface low-grade deposit, will probably end up being a high grade on the ground mine at a future date. Hmm. 
Well, it certainly does sound very uh, like like you've got an awful lot of upside potential when you start talking about those numbers. Of course, we want to uh, caution our listeners uh, to the fact that this is not a resource yet. This is a target number, that 2.4 million ounces, and and more drilling and exploration will need to be uh, will need to be carried out in order to have a level of confidence that investors should count on or think um, in terms when they start buying the shares. But it does definitely have the potential, Frank, it seems to become something something quite large. Yeah, I, 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 that's a good way of putting it, Jay. I think we have something here. Um, we're about 10% into our overall exploration program. We're still very early stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, with our group that we had on site, which is Genevar, and we also use other consultants, uh, they've really expanded our mineralized zone. Uh, originally, we thought we just had a small thing. And right now, uh, we still don't know how big this thing is. And so we decided, uh, you know, while we're trying to figure out how big it is, we just went on a land acquisition and basically came up to 11,000 hectares. And we're still looking at acquiring more ground if we can. We think there's something trending east-west that's quite large. And uh, what we're doing is, um, you know, if you look at our maps, you'll notice there's other mines on strike that are within our land patch that we picked up. And that's what we're targeting. You know, these old-timers went out there and, mine these things in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and uh, they found something. And some of the grades that came back was, were quite significant, and it's possible that uh, this thing could extend over a few kilometers. Frank, you have one of the largest uh, land holdings, I believe, perhaps in that area. Is that right? Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, and you're still looking to get more if you can. Um, one, one question I have for you, and this may help uh, our listeners too, I hope, uh, is the uh, you mentioned earlier that your waste grade was actually higher than what you captured in the bulk sample. Could you explain how could that be? Yeah. And well, what happened is when we originally did this, our actual bulk sample was supposed to be 450,000 tons, and we were supposed to have between three to five benches. And the reason we did that was we want to see if we can control the grade by changing the mining list. So the first bench was 142,000 tons, uh, which uh, we thought, you know, 30,000 tons will go in the mill and the other 110 will put on a waste pile, which we sampled. And the way we sample and the way we do things, because of the nature of these, this type of mineralization, we do things on a large scale. And, uh, you know, many people when they saw us doing this thought we're going in production. It says, no, we're just having a look. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of surprised that people look such a large scale. Anyways, uh, what happened was um, the grade came back at 1.6 thereabouts, mm-hmm. and this was about calculated from the bar. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we actually poured a bar, back calculated the grade, and came in about 1.63, I think, or something like that. Grams so per ton. Grams per ton, yeah. And I thought, wow, this is interesting because we were expecting a gram or less, and I thought, you know, when you pour a bar, it's the real thing. It's not like a drill program. You actually yeah. have something in your hand. Yeah. I thought, this is interesting, you know. So then we went to sample the waste pile, and the waste pile came in at 1.75. I said, wow, did we ever blow it? You know, wow. I thought, there must be something else there. And sure enough, it wasn't just the one vein. We hit two other veinlets uh-huh. when we were mining it. <laughs> so we thought, uh, then, then we started to compile all the data. It took us a very long time to compile all the data, produce a GEMCOM model, and then we tested the model. And sure enough, you know, it wasn't two veins. It was between 9 to 22. And uh, so we said, okay, you know, let's keep on testing this model. So when originally we had, I think it was 2,800 meters of drilling. And then we thought that'll find the extensions. And we found out that wasn't enough. So we did 25,000. And we said, well, we still didn't find the extensions. Now we're on the 50,000 meter drill program. And 
I don't think we'll meet the extensions with this 50,000 meter drill program. So we mm. might have to do another extension or a phase four drill program. Mm. Wow. Well, it, it definitely is uh, it is uh, um, turning out to be something much bigger than I think uh, a lot of people expected. I mean, any anybody really expected. Frank, what about your budget? Do you have money to continue drilling? Because I, as I understand, you're going to be drilling uh, very aggressively, especially as the weather gets warmer. Yeah, what we've done is uh, we've got two drills uh, drilling around the clock, 24-7. Uh, we only want to stay with two drills because we want to find the extensions of our structure. Um, we burn about a million a month. Uh, what we've also done is that we're building roads to all our targets so we don't get stopped. Uh, we're also redoing all the permits. The site originally was permit. We asked the permit to be revoked, and uh, we restarted uh, with a baseline of hydrogeological study to basically you know, in the event this thing does become something of interest, that the permits are in order, everything is in place. So if somebody wants to do something with the property, it's done. And, you know, we've also uh, been uh, negotiating, discussing things with the First Nations, the local community. So, you know, we're establishing ourselves that possibly uh, should this thing be uh, something of, of what I call economic viability, it's done and it's ready and we can move ahead and, and put it into production. Well, there's so much more information, Frank, for people that really want to dig into this, the serious investor that might want to understand a little better about what the the risks and rewards are for your project. There still is, I mean, there's an awful lot of information available to them if they go to your website, which is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's goldbullyondevelopmentcorp.com. That's right. It's very technical because the nature of our people, we're operational people, we're hands-on. We try to make it sometimes uh, too technical, which is, and we have to apologize for that, but if somebody number crunched, they'll see that there's something quite significant here. Oh, yeah. It's a little bigger than we originally thought it was, and we still haven't found the extent of it. Right. Well, it's it's uh, no doubt a statistical challenge or uh, uh, opportunity, really, because when you start to to realize – that you know you have some of these high grade numbers that could really sweeten the pot, so to speak, or sweeten the average grade. It, it, it's quite exciting, Frank. I'm, I'm really glad uh, you got a chance to explain this to to me and to our listeners a little more. I'm going to be watching your uh, your news releases, that's for sure, because uh, I, I just think there's a chance here for for people to do well. There's also risks involved. We want to underscore that as well. But I want to thank you very much. Is there anything else you think our listeners should know before we uh, conclude our discussion this time? No, I, I thank you very much, Jay. It was, it's all, like I said, always a pleasure to talk to you, and, and uh, I'm grateful you gave me this opportunity to explain our, our data and what we're trying to do. Well, Thanks so much, Jay. Well, it's my pleasure uh, because this is a very interesting story, and uh, you know, there's a reason I put it in my newsletter, obviously, because I do believe this is a story and a company that has a chance to become something very significant. So thank you again. We'll look forward to talking to you again sometime. Folks, that's all the time we have for now, but don't go away because coming up next, we're going to have uh, my featured guest this week. He is Damon Vickers. He is the author of a book called The Day After the Dollar Crashes. You don't want to miss this story, this view from Damon Vickers, who is one of the more successful hedge fund managers, very well-regarded Wall Street uh, investor. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Damon Vickers. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Western Pacific is a gold exploration company focused on finding major world-class deposits in the western United States. Western's Ace in the Hole, a project called Mineral Gulch, lies along trend with the Carlin-style Long Canyon deposit, recently acquired by Frontier Development. Catalysts going forward will be from drill results. One drill campaign is underway at the South Lita Project in Nevada, with permitting underway to drill 33 holes at Mineral Gulch. Western Pacific trades on the Venture Exchange under the ticker WRP. Solid and Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. For further information, Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, this has been a difficult day in many ways uh, from, from this end uh, in terms of the radio show. It's also been a difficult day for people who are long the stock market because I'm seeing the Dow is down some 155 points. The S&P is down about 20. Uh, the gold price is up sharply today. I think someone said it made a new high today. Uh, apropos, I would, I would suggest for our next guest, uh, Damon Vickers. He is the author of The Day After the Dollar Crashes, A Survival Guide for the Rise of the New World Order. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time reading Damon's uh, bio because he's telling me he only has 10 minutes or so to spend with us. So I would suggest, though, that, that, uh, that you listen very carefully to what Damon has to say because he has a message that I think is very, very important. That's why we have him on this show. Welcome, Damon, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Awesome, Jay. Great to be with you. Great to have you here. Uh, the day after the dollar crashes, uh, it, it, this is a fascinating read. I'm, I'm wondering, why do you think, do you think for sure the dollar is going to crash? Dollar, dollar may crash. It needs to break support and then the and uh, and uh, move lower in price. Uh, hasn't done that yet, though. But the dollar is certainly weak. I think it was interesting to see. Uh, you know, the response of the dollar to all the Middle East turmoil. In particular, the dollar really wasn't rallying all that much. Um, mm-hmm. 
Uh, dollar's getting a little bit of a lift today, uh, but not by much. I mean, you're looking at up 11 cents in the DXY. Usually, with the type of news that's out, we've seen the dollar be a little bit stronger. So the dollar's been kind of weak lately. Uh, mm-hmm. But weak is not a crash. Crashes, and, and I've, you know, I've seen a couple of them in my career. I've been managing money now for about 30 years, and uh, we were predominantly short between 2000 and 2003, and um, we were predominantly short in 2008, that uh, crashes need you know, a precipitous breaking of support in terms of price levels. So for that, the DXY, we're watching the DXY very carefully, and we'd need the DXY to break support and uh, really take out 2008 lows. And um, that would perhaps be the beginning of uh, perhaps something a little bit more precipitous. What, what are those uh, 2008 lows, if you could just uh, inform our listeners who might not be watching the charts every day? Right. I'm sorry. I can't do that. That's proprietary. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's down in the, I don't know. We'll have Roger Wiegand will be on a little yeah. later, but, okay. but, but we're, we're a little bit above that now. Uh, one of the things I'm wondering, we see the risk, when the risk trade came back on, we had the Lehman Brothers collapse. We saw the dollar actually get stronger. Everything else fell in value. Almost everything fell in value for a little while from September of 2008 through March of 2009. Then we started having huge amounts of money pumped into the system. We started to reflate the system. We started to see commodity prices, stock prices. We're having quite a run now. It seems to me that there's a relationship there uh, between when the risk, when people are feeling like they can take risk again, they sell dollars and they buy stuff. Uh, is that what's going on? Is that the reason that the dollar is weaker? Um. No, I, I, I think I think I think the dollar is being perceived perhaps as not quite a, uh, a safe haven as it once was. You know, there are other alternate forms of of, uh, of uh, investments that you could make that would denote a safe haven. Tough times in the globe, people buy the dollars globally. That's that's how it's been for a long time. So, I think there are other there are other currencies that are stronger. People maybe they look at the Swiss franc, they look at the the, the even the loonie more locally or uh, mm-hmm. They might look at uh, the yen. It's pretty much anything but the U.S. dollar. And in an all-out currency collapse, and we lay this out in the book, that that if we move towards an all-out currency collapse, you might you might likely see multiple currencies decline. I don't think it would be just limited to the dollar ultimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't it the case that a lot of the countries, a lot of countries now, are really it's sort of a beggar thy neighbor currency devaluation to try to get an advantage to export more. Isn't that well, think, part of what's going on now? That is that is part of what's going on, and the, and and it's but it's not happening fast enough. The mm-hmm. the the valuations of Western currencies compared to their Asian producing, manufacturing, export counterparts is disproportionately out of whack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, the the populations of these countries of the United States, of France, of you know uh, areas even in the Middle East that that you know that you've got large populations that don't have the means of increasingly employing themselves. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, that these countries have tremendously large government uh, infrastructures and bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see it in what's happening in Wisconsin. We see it what's happening in Greece and in Egypt, where you've got this government that is overhanging the needs of the, the population um, mm-hmm. and the population not being able to increasingly support themselves and being squeezed by higher prices and in the Middle East even higher food prices. So really, how do you how do you reconcile? How do you bring those type of things more into balance so that there's more uh, I don't know more harmony, some more trade is facilitated, 
Um, and that really does have to do with currencies and the debt and the overhang of the debt. And so in the book, um, the day after the dollar crashes, we, we kind of, I think, uh, theorize that the only way that that could really happen is a realignment of currencies, a realignment of, of, of global, I would say, global power structures to some extent, and perhaps some type of a new world order. Uh, and it's not the new world order, the scary conspiracy type, but, you know, a new world order. We're going to need some type of a new order in the world because mm-hmm. this one is not going to continue indefinitely. It's just not. Well, it certainly seems, uh, Damon, that we have a chronic trade deficit in the United States. Uh, is that what gives you concern about the dollar and why the dollar has to, has to come down very sharply? And if, if, that's your, if your answer is yes to that, why do we have a chronic trade deficit in the United States? We have a chronic trade deficit in the United States because either, one, we don't have a, a third world war to export arms to, like we did in the, coming out of the Second World War, or what we don't have is cost competitiveness to export things. Uh, any of the great ideas that are coming along right now are being manufactured overseas. They're being manufactured in the Philippines, in China, in Bangladesh, in Vietnam, at more than a tenth the cost. A, a la- an hour of labor in Vietnam is about 60 cents an hour. An hour of labor in the United States, when you tack on all the health care and all the medical needs because of an industrial society and the wrecking of our aquifers and the pesticides in the food supply and the, 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 the bad couch-style life, couch, couch potato-type lifestyle, mm-hmm. we're a society that's kind of sickly. And so you mm-hmm. have all these added costs to maintaining the health of a very sick population. These are all built-in costs that go into the inevitable to produce the production of that, you know, I'm looking on my desk, a pair of scissors. Mm-hmm. And it's just not cost-competitive. The, the pair of scissors must find a, 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 a price to be sold to the market on a, on a global basis, not on a United States basis, but on a global yeah. basis because we have open markets. Mm-hmm. So open markets means that I have to produce, I have to produce that pair of scissors at the same price that it could be produced uh, in Vietnam or Bangladesh to sell them to a buyer because it's nothing for me to buy 10,000 pairs of uh, Fisker scissors uh, in Bangladesh or Vietnam. So you're suggesting that a good part of our cost uh, problems, our, our, cost, our, our high cost of producing things in the U.S. is related to the environment, to health care, to, to, to a bad living style, to an opulent or let's say to a, a living style that isn't healthy. Is that I what you're saying? A lot of there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with opulence, and there's nothing wrong with abundance. The the problem is the the, the degradation of our environment to such an extent that we have uh, cancer rates, uh, leukemia rates, uh, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, all of those things. Cumulatively, those figures are 2.4 trillion dollars a year. Add that together with our 800 dollars, 800 billion dollars a year that we export for fuel costs. And you've got, you know, what, about $3.5 trillion per year. Every mm-hmm. year is going out of this country, or in part going out because of the health care, so that's staying in, but that's not really helping anybody. It's just a negative drain on the productive capacity of, of society. Our societies are not competitive. Our society in, in Western cultures, they're not competitive and they're not productive. And they have the overhang of, of bloated government infrastructures and debt, and debt that cannot be repaid. So mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a sick, chronic condition 
um, uh, that likely will only be resolved in some type of a repudiation of global debt, a realignment of, uh, of currencies, a realignment of global government, and a new world order. Well, the repudiation of debt, it certainly seems, uh, is inevitable the way I look at it. The question in my mind, Damon, is how does it get repudiated? You know, I look at a chart and I see debt growing in the United States exponentially. You know, uh, all levels of society, not just federal debt, but, but corporate, individual, you know, credit cards, whatever, whatever you want to count. Well, everything uh, combined, and we're growing exponentially. At the same time, we see GDP growing in a linear fashion. So clearly, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see this system is breaking down. We have these chronic problems. We cannot... Uh, we, can, we, we have these chronic trade deficits for reasons that you just outlined in part. Uh, my big question as an investor and as someone who has lots of interesting people on this show that weigh in on both sides of the argument, my big question is which way are we going to resolve this? Is it going to be through some sort of hyperinflationary event or is it going to be through some sort of uh, a deflationary depression that repudiates debt? How do you see it playing out? Well, I would imagine that the currency, the currency of Westernized in the book, we, we, our theory was that the currencies would basically get revalued, that there would be a, a last-ditch attempt globally to scramble for liquidity. This would be in a rapid hiking of interest rates globally. This would lead to the unsettling of markets. We theorized that it would take about two weeks in a, in a, in a kind of a domino effect going around the, the country, the world, and time zones, um, but that the, the currencies would inevitably uh, would basically collapse, and that you'd have a restructuring um, of the value of those currencies, not, not becoming worthless, but worthless and restructured. Um, you know, we're just, so I, I, would, uh, I would imagine the debt gets, gets written off. It has to be forgiven, or it mm -hmm. has to be exchanged for equity. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the bondholders, the debtors, which are the Chinese, the Saudis, um, unless, unless, uh, unless the, the push here is to create a war over there. Yeah. create a war between the various countries. You can well imagine now that with the instability in the region in the Middle East, the countries that mm -hmm. have not fallen to the Muslim Brotherhood and the, the, uh, their desire to drive for a, uh, a caliphate and Islamic states, that, um, that the countries that are not uh, a part of that are arming themselves to the teeth right now. They are absolutely mm -hmm. panicked and they want to buy lots of weapons. So that's a good thing for the United States because we like to sell weapons. Because <laughs> we, we sell weapons. We used to sell TVs and cars too, but that was a while ago. Well, that, we don't do much of that anymore for reasons you just outlined. Uh, you mentioned the debt. We see a long-term bull market in the long-dated U.S. dollar, uh, you know, the long-dated treasuries going back to 1982, actually. And I look at a chart, Damon, and I say to myself, yeah, there's lots of talk about about the bull market and bonds being over, but I don't see it yet. If I draw a line through the bottom of this thing, it looks like we're still in a bull market for long, for long-dated U.S. Treasuries. When is this? When is this bull market going to be over? It seems logical enough that it would be over pretty soon. You know, we're seeing signs that China and Russia and other countries are saying we've had enough already of U.S. dollar, U.S. dollar debt. I don't know about the Japanese. They're our friends and our allies. I, I don't know. But when do you think well, we're entering? I don't think you could ever try to predict how long a, a trend will stay in place. A trend, a trend will, will, uh, will, will stay in place a lot longer than anybody predicts, and Netflix will climb higher than Whitney, Whitney Tilson has the ability to absorb <laughs> the margin goals. 
yeah. and natural gas will fall lower than anybody had possibly could have imagined. I mean, you, so a trend, a trend will stay in place as long as it stays in place. But I, I think in terms of buying debt or government debt, um, I think you have to question, question the creditworthiness, perhaps, of some of that debt. You know, mm-hmm. knowing what you know of, you know, of the, the tremendous amount of, of debt that overhangs, knowing that you know uh, the tremendous uh, incapacity of the, quote, payer, the United mm-hmm. States, to, quote, pay back that debt. We have a, mm-hmm. a diminishing capacity to make good on our debts because of our inability to generate any export, uh, export capital, you know, trade, because we're not competitive on a comparative basis on finished goods. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not going to change without some radical revaluation of Western currencies and or uh, a, a, uh, a market that opens up. Mm-hmm. And I hope it but doesn't there's... go that way. I don't want it to open. I don't want a third world war. To, we don't need to, hush or, to usher in some type of a, a you know, a turn the deserts into glass with weapons. Mm-hmm. That, I don't want that. <laughs> well, it, it, when it comes to U.S. Treasuries, of course, the U.S. Treasuries will be repaid. The question is whether or not they'll be repaid in, in a currency that's worth anything. Do you, so do you see the dollar, could the dollar go to zero? I don't think the dollar would go to zero. I think the dollar, I think the dollar will, will, will may likely trend lower. It's, on, on a three-year basis, the dollar is higher than where it was three years ago. On mm-hmm. a two-year basis, I believe the dollar is slightly higher than where it was two years ago, or about the same. So mm-hmm. that, but on a more longer-term basis, we know that the dollar is significantly lower than where it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. The question of not is whether or not the trend continues. For a trend to continue, it would have to take out new lows if the trend is down. And if for a trend to continue to the upside, it would have to take out new highs. You may watch gold today. Gold, I believe, is trading at a new all-time high. The question is, can it close out the week, the day, the week, uh, on a new high-time basis, or is it just exploring up in this area? If gold takes out a new all-time high, you can then take from that that the trend for gold is still in place to the upside. Uh, Damon, what uh, we I, I want to let you go because I know this is an important day for you. Let me take a, a couple of minutes yet and just ask you: the day after the dollar crashes, how can people prepare for that now? What should they be doing? What should they be looking at right now to prepare their own finances for that day? Well, I, I, I would just kind of be mindful. You know, we never we never know. You know, when there was a, a pilot uh, that that I'm that I I think everybody's aware of. His name was Sully Sullenberger. And he captained this airplane that took off from LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And shortly after he took off, he hit a flock of birds. He never would have predicted that he would have experienced some type of uh, Anthony Hopkins, Alec Baldwin, the Edge movie moment where you hit the seagull and it's all going down. But it happened. Now, a lot of pilots and airlines are taught to fly on autopilot. They're taught that they maybe shouldn't be flying the airplane, that the computer can do a better job. But mm-hmm, Sully mm-hmm. was not of that mindset. Sully was like an old-time pilot, had many years flying airplanes, and Sully was a real, you know, pilot, a real, you know, he liked to fly the plane. Mm-hmm, and so Sully mm-hmm. was very aware of the fact that the, the pressure, the fuel gauges were, were all of a sudden made, changing. He was aware of the fact that the plane may have been losing altitude. He was aware of the fact that he was getting indicator lights that were saying, pull up, problem, whatever he was getting, because he was aware. He was situationally aware. You ask mm-hmm. any person that survived 9-11 in the, in the towers or, 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 a, or a boat going down and sinking or a horrific event where you're taking your wife out tonight for a, a date 
and uh, maybe you walk into a near a dark alley, and some you know, there might be some crazy person lurking in there with a, a knife or a gun to accost you. It's situational and awareness. Situational and awareness will help your survival. So the thing for you to do right now is to just be aware. You don't necessarily maybe you take some action, but maybe you don't. Maybe you're just situationally aware. We can be worried about the dollar going tremendously lower, and I've written a great book about it. But for us to actually take action on it, we would actually need to see a breakdown in prices. I, uh, uh, gold may, may be topping out here, maybe not. But if it takes out new highs, we know the trend is in place. The, the dollar may be moving towards further erosion in prices. For it to do that, it actually has to take out new lows. There are, other, there are people that, that, are, that, that, that are all gloom and doom every day of the week. Is another day for uh, digging a hole in the ground and living there with your food supply, your seed storage, your guns, your, your, water, your water maker. And yet there's no real actual reason you ought to do it. So in terms of investing, um, it's really about price and following price. And there must be a valid reason in the actual price performance for you to, to make a decision. Because when we buy gold at one price, we're looking to sell it at another price. And when we're looking for the dollar to collapse, we're talking about it collapsing on a price basis. So what we need to be watching is price and investing based upon price. I uh, thank you very much, Damon. Just one, one more question for you before I let you go. The uh, headline in today's Financial Times, Italian banks go for gold and move to transfer core capital ratios. Apparently, the Italians, uh, rather than having to go out and issue more shares to bolster their capital, uh, they're saying, hey, wait a minute, we have this asset called gold, and it's, it's valued at 43 bucks an ounce or something like that. Let's value, let's market to market so that, we, uh, so that we don't have to issue more shares. Do you think this could be a move towards a, a new currency, possibly, with gold becoming one of many currencies? Do you think this could be part of an alignment that could be starting? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I like the accounting that says mm -hmm. that if you own gold at $43 an ounce by virtue of revaluing it at 1400 and what is it, $31, $32 an ounce, that that yeah. might be a little bit better. That's a good move. Yeah, uh, right. In terms of uh, replacing the dollar with a basket of, uh, you know, a basket of alternate, uh, uh, alternate vehicles, I think that's an idea. But keep in mind, I know there's this idea of gold. I also mm -hmm. know that there's a very thick, heavy, big industrial complex and uh, business involved in gold mining companies, gold coin dealers, that whole kind of world out there. And mm -hmm. if you were to totally convert all the inflated capital out there that exists mm -hmm. and convert it on a dollar-dollar for basis for gold, gold would trade at, I don't, I don't know, it's inconceivable, millions of dollars an ounce. I mean, you couldn't yeah. do it. You couldn't possibly Incredible. do it. Because the amount of gold that exists in the world is only like, what do they say, a couple of swimming pool sizes? That's or, correct. That's know, correct, like, yeah. Like mm -hmm. that. So it's not going, even though gold is, I think, perhaps a very good part, and then everybody but maybe owns some gold, that's a good thing. Um, in terms of gold really ultimately being a replacement currency on a global basis, um, mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. Just not enough of it around, Damon? Is it's that not the enough issue? of it around, yeah. There's not yeah. enough of it to yeah. facilitate trade. I mean, what would All you right. tie? You tie uh, the currency to one one ten thousandth of an ounce of gold. I mean, what would you do? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting, uh, very interesting discussion for another time. Thank you so much, Damon. It's Folks, awesome being with you. You want to look. You want to look at this the day after the dollar crashes. Damon Vickers, he's been with us. I thank you, Damon, so much for for joining us today. Uh, sorry, you couldn't have more time with us. Maybe some other time. I hope we can beg, borrow, and steal you for uh, for a half an hour or so longer. But thank you very, very much, folks. Don't go away. We're going to be right back. Uh, 
Business Network, the bottom line in business. Western Pacific is a gold exploration company focused on finding major world-class deposits in the western United States. Western's Ace in the Hole, a project called Mineral Gulch, lies along trend with the Carlin-style Long Canyon deposit, recently acquired by Frontier Development. Catalysts going forward will be from drill results. One drill campaign is underway at the South Lita Project in Nevada, with permitting underway to drill 33 holes at Mineral Gulch. Western Pacific trades on the Venture Exchange under the ticker WRP. Solid and Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.ca. For further information, Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite, with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. 